The views and opinions expressed on this show are purely the views and opinions of the person who made them and do not necessarily reflect or agree with those of the show's commercial sponsors, its radio station affiliates, or internet broadcast platforms. As the restriction on our God-given right to free speech manifests itself throughout the world, we are inspired by Jesus Christ's immortal words, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And we reserve the rights to all our words. Thank you, and now enjoy the show. The love who rules over you simply find out who you are not allowed to criticise. You are listening to ACH and Andy, your host. Today is Thursday, so I'm delighted to welcome back my good friend, Dr. Peter Hammond. Let's bring him up right now. Peter, are you with us? I am. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you, Peter. And uh, today's show is going to be somewhat of a continuation of last Thursday's show. Peter made a comment in that show about these environmental people being like watermelons, green on the outside and red on the inside, which really made me laugh out loud, and I've been chuckling about it ever since, uh, made the decision to delve deeper into that topic. Last week's show was the real story of how Mikhail Gorbachev instigated the Great Reset, and today's show is the real story of the Order of the Watermelon. So, Peter, where would you like to start us off today with this topic? Andrew, we know that Mikhail Gorbachev had the Order of Lenin, as in Vladimir Lenin. Well, he should have also been given the Order of the Watermelon, because... Yes, watermelons are green on the outside, but they are red on the inside, as anyone has discovered when you've cut a watermelon open. And it was Mikhail Gorbachev who launched the Great Reset at the Earth Summit in Rio and with the Earth Charter, Agenda 21. And he wrote the Earth Charter, and he said that he wrote it to be a new Ten Commandments, a new Sermon on the Mount to guide humanity. (laughs) So... Uh, this this is so extraordinary. And you looking at the timing, as we pointed out in, in last week's program, that the timing was he resigns as the last president or dictator of the Soviet Union, 25 December, that's Christmas Day, 1991. Next year, 1992, he launches the Gorbachev Foundation, the Green Cross International. He is a key person along with Morris Strong, uh, the billionaire from Canada, in launching the Earth Summit at Rio. And he drafts the Earth Charter and the Agenda 21 along with Morris Strong. And this launches the whole um, Earth Council. And basically, we see in the very next year after he leaves the position as head of the Communist Party and head of the uh, Soviet Union, in 1991, 1992, you see that basically the whole Communist Party Soviet Union, CPSU, moves both personnel and agenda 
out of the bounds of the Warsaw Pact and the Soviet Union in the East into the West. And now it's got a global agenda with a global reach, but now it's doing it in the name of the green agenda. And uh, this is why uh, he not only deserves the order of Lenin for being such a diligent communist, but he deserves the order of the watermelon for advancing communist objectives worldwide through an environmental and green pretext. And you can see this very clearly when you look at the the writings and the public pronouncements of Mikhail Gorbachev, he said time and again, I am a communist, I am a Leninist, I am a Marxist. And uh, he says, I will be a communist to my dying days, that everything I've done has been to advance socialism. And he again and again made it clear that what he was doing was the same as what Vladimir Lenin did back in the early 1920s with launching the new economic policy. And that uh, the new economic policy looked like it was betraying some of the goals of communism and was embracing some of the principles of capitalism, but it was actually advancing the goals of communism. And that uh, this is why uh, Lenin's whole new economic policy of 1921 was reprinted and quoted from again and again, not only by Gorbachev, but by the head of the Communist Party USA as well, saying, don't worry about what is going on in the Soviet Union. Don't worry about the public pronouncements of Gorbachev. Understand that what he's doing is he's adopting Lenin's NEP or New Economic Policy Strategy. And what he's doing is is with a view to strengthening the system and advancing the goal of world communism. And so Gorbachev made it clear again and again, even his book, which he published in 1987, Perestroika, New Thinking for Our Country and the World, he was very explicit about his Leninist principles and how this new economic program that Lenin introduced in 1921 actually strengthened the Soviet Union and advanced communism and the same way his perestroika and glasnost is to advance communism. And we need more socialism, therefore we need more democracy because democracy brings about socialism. And again and again, you can see he had a green agenda. Now, but his green agenda was actually just camouflage for the red agenda. So looking at this, the Earth Charter, absolutely extraordinary. Because the Earth Charter, which came out of Rio 1991, is an international declaration of fundamental values and principles which are essential to build a just, sustainable, peaceful global society in the 21st century. And that's why they use the term Agenda 21. It's for the 21st century. Very fast thinking when you think that this was produced in 1992. But officially, Gorbachev says the idea of the Earth Charter actually originated in 1987 with Marie Strong, the Canadian billionaire, and Mikhail Gorbachev as members of the Club of Rome. I mean, so they say the idea started at the Club of Rome, because bear in mind, Gorbachev and Strong were globalists. So in the Club of Rome in 1987, they got the idea of launching this United Nations World Commission on Environment and Development with a new charter to guide the transition to sustainable development. And so uh, in June, the 13th, 13th of June, uh, Rio de Janeiro Earth Summit 1992, they decide to get together and to bring about this declaration, this Agenda 21, this uh, Earth Summit, this Earth um, uh, Council that's going to grow out of it, and the Earth Charter, all of which has been designed in the Club of Rome by Maurice Strong and Mikhail Gorbachev, and they launched it at Rio de Janeiro, the Earth Summit. And this became the statement of what they called achievable consensus. And 
immediately afterwards, Strong, who was chairman of the Earth Summit, and Gorbachev, who was the prime mover and the author of the actual charter, of the Earth Charter and Agenda 21, they basically launched the Earth Charter as a civil society with the funding of governments such as the Netherlands governments and others, with official positions in Western governments and official positions also at the United Nations and the EU. And then to show you the, the real religious connections, in 2001, they initiated an arc of hope, the arc of hope. And the arc of hope stored this earth charter, which was meant to be a new Ten Commandments, a new Sermon on the Mount. So, I mean, you can see this is all religious terminology. It's very communist. It's got a global agenda, one world government, one world economic system, and a one world interfaith religious system. And so it's not just economic, it's not just environmental, it's political and it's spiritual, it's religious, because in order to bring about saving the planet from climate change and all the other sort of things, what they believed you need is a one world government powerful enough to enforce everybody on earth to submit to this agenda. And of course, to unite the people, you need a one world interfaith religion. And uh, of course, part of it is its economics. And so you've got to control the economics so that you cannot have anyone who dissents because then they won't be able to buy or sell without our mark. So all of this, an arc of hope. And interestingly enough, where did they um, initiate putting this earth chart into the arc of hope? 2002 in Johannesburg, South Africa, with the ANC hosting it. And uh, interestingly enough, uh, this is in their terminology, um, R plus five and then R plus 10. Now, where does this come from? So Rio plus five was in 1997. So Rio was 1992. And what's important about the five? Well, everyone knows that communist countries always had a five-year plan. So you've got Rio plus five. In 1997, the UN General Assembly held a special session to appraise the status of Agenda 21, Rio plus five officially called, and they identified what they need to do for the next five years. And then there's Rio plus 10. So Rio plus 10 was 2002, Johannesburg, South Africa, hosted by the African National Congress of Thabo Mbeki, who is the successor to Nelson Mandela. And there they officially put the Earth Charter in the new Ark of Hope. I mean, you can see this is an attempt to build a whole new religion. And so you've got this new Ten Commandments, this new um, Sermon on the Mount, to use their terminology, in the new Ark of Hope. And so they, they're building up a new religion and uh, new affiliations. And then they followed that with Rio plus 20 for 2012, uh, when another United Nations a Conference on Sustainable Development was held, where leaders of 180 nations participated. Well, all of this has been clearly documented and shown to be a plot. It's in the guise of environmental concerns. It's a plot to end individual freedom and to establish a one world government. And you can see the the results of this when farmers have been told euthanasia cattle, uh, plow up your fields, um, sell up your farms, move off the land. Um, we are going to use your farms now for other purposes where you've got four million acres of prime farmland in the United States not being used right now just because the government department of agriculture said you can't use it. We've, we've got to protect the environment and we don't want any more fertilizer in the soil and things like this. And so at a time that we're heading towards global shortage of food and new famine, we've got in the name of protecting the environment, all kinds of, of agendas, which are 
suffocating farmers, strangling them with red tape and bureaucracy, uh, restricting them, uh, excluding more and more land from being used. And we've seen this in the Netherlands, which the farmers are standing up and fighting against. We've seen this all over the world. And uh, even in the United States of America, there are wars against the farmers. And of course, South Africa, it's a very bloody war where they've murdered thousands of farmers and their family members in, in the most brutal terrorism way to bring South Africa from being a net food exporter down to where we've got to import food. Because we used to have 70,000 white commercial farmers providing enough food for 100 million people. That was back in 1994 when Nelson Mandela became president of South Africa. And we only had 28 million people then. So we were producing four times more food than we needed. And so we were exporting a huge amount of food like the Netherlands is doing now. And because of government policies being anti-farmer, we've seen how the farmers under terrorism and, and murder have uh, been reduced down to something like 26,000 farmers who now feeding 40 million people, which is still an impressive feat, but the population is more than doubled to over 60 million. So we've got enough food for 40 million, but we've got a population of 60 million and now, not only can't we feed our own people, we've got to import, but we're no longer exporting to feed a whole lot of others. And this is the problem we've got all over the world. And just in Africa, there are 34 countries dependent on wheat that comes from Russia or Ukraine. And our sanctions and the war is leading to real starvation in many parts of Africa. And this is not accidental, of course. This is part of Agenda 21. Agenda 21 had as its uh, primary goal... Uh, in order to restrict the amount of food being produced, to restrict the amount of land being cultivated by people. Uh, the Agenda 21 is grouped in basically four sections, social and economic dimensions, conservation and management of resources for development, number three, strengthening the role of major groups, and number four, means of implementation. So it looks at everything from developing countries to developed countries a deforestation, biodiversity, control of pollution, biotechnology, radioactive waste, and then controlling NGOs, uh, indigenous peoples, farmers, and utilizing technology and education, international institutions, in order to bring about a massive reduction in the world's population, uh, to withdraw most people from the uh, areas that now are being used for farming, and let those farms go back to wilderness. And what we need to do is, uh, in the name of protecting the climate and saving the planet, uh, what we've got to do is basically starve people to death. Now, they don't use the word starve people to death, but you can see the agenda of Agenda 21 is remarkably similar to the Communist Manifesto of 1948. Because what is the end result of the Earth Charter, the Earth Council, uh, the Rio um, uh, Summit and Agenda uh, 21? Well, it echoes the Communist Manifesto of 1848 produced by Karl Marx and and Frederick Engels. Number one, abolition of private property. That's the first step in, in the Communist Manifesto. Well, the Earth Charter and Agenda 21 basically abolishes private property, doesn't it? It makes not just the government, but makes the international global government uh, basically the arbiter of what can be used for farming or not, and so on. And you no longer have a say of your own property. Number two is heavy progressive income tax. That's the second key part of the Communist Manifesto of 1848 of Karl Marx. Now, Agenda 21 and the Earth Charter sees the need to progressively uh, confiscate more and more earnings to have a, what they call a wealth transfer from the more productive to the 
non-productive. And uh, this heavy progressive income tax is part of a wealth transfer to impoverish those who have been the most productive and to empower or make dependent those who are not. And then, of course, abolition of all rights of inheritance. You can see that too. It's no longer a righteous man gives up inheritance to his children, his children's children. But now we see that through death taxes and heavy state interference in in rights of inheritance, rights of inheritance are being undercut, undermined, and effectively the state or the super state, the global government, is getting more of the inheritance. And they are increasingly limiting number of farmers and family farms around the world and grouping people into collectives, which is in accordance with the Communist Manifesto. Confiscation of the property of all immigrants and rebels. Well, we're seeing that too. The central bank. Ha! Do we see a central bank? Yes, that's also part of Agenda 21. Control of world finances, one economic system for the world. And then sixth principle, Communist Manifesto, government control of communications and transport. That's also in Agenda 21. Uh, How they must control everything, science, technology, transportation, all of this in the name of saving the planet, ending climate change and all the rest of it. And then government ownership of factories and agriculture, that's seventh point in the Communist Manifesto. Well, yes, gee, that's Agenda 21. That's the Earth Charter. That's the Earth Summit as well. The government, or should we say the United Nations, the World Government, World Economic Forum, must control all factories and agriculture, control production both in the cities and in the countryside. Eighth principle of Communist Manifesto, government control of labor. That's also part of (laughs) Agenda 21, drafted, remember, by Gorbachev and Marie Strong. This new Ten Commands, this new uh, Sermon on the Mount, uh, which they believe is key for sustainable development. The government controls labor. And then corporate farms, regional planning, redistribution of property and the population to abolish distinction between town and country. That's exactly what Agenda 21 is, to uh, get people no longer... Uh, on farms, but more grouped into collectives and into the city where they can be better to be controlled because you can't really control farmers who are self-sufficient out in these big homesteads, can you? And so, again, the same hostility to independent farmers that you see in the Communist Manifesto, you see in Agenda 21. And then government control of education. That is a vital part of Agenda 21. This is the control of education, Section 4 of Agenda 21, Education, we've got to change the way of thinking of future generations, mandatory education, compulsory education, controlled by the state, textbooks and teachers trained by the state, or in this case, the globalists. And so when you look at Agenda 21 and you look at the Earth Charter and you look at the Earth Council, if you look at the Earth Summit at Rio, it's communism. This is 1848 Karl Marx, Friedrich Engels, communism. It's the Communist Manifesto. And that's why I say Mikhail Gorbachev needs to get not only the Order of Lenin, but the Order of the Watermelon, because he has done more to advance the red agenda, the communist agenda of the Marxist manifesto in the name of green environmentalism, in the name of his uh, saving the planet and his Gorbachev Foundation and the Green Cross International than he ever did as chairman of the Communist Party of the Soviet Union, CPSU. And that's why the Central Committee of the uh, Communist Party of Soviet Union moved over basically to Gorbachev Foundation and the Green Cross International. And they were far more effective in advancing communist goals internationally through this green agenda, the so-called green agenda, than they ever were able to be as um, uh, heads of the Politburo in the Soviet Union. So when you look at the Communist Manifesto, 
1848, and you compare it to Agenda 21, I mean, one of the challenges you could give to an enterprising young person that you're trying to teach critical thinking to is spot the difference. I mean, really and truly, it's not a matter of see the comparisons. Just see in what way is there any difference between Agenda 21 and the Marxist Manifesto of 1848. But it's even more interesting than that, because if you go back to the uh, launch of the Illuminati, of 1776, the 1st of May, 1776, when we had uh, Weishaupt, you had Adam Weishaupt along with Meyer Amschel Rothschild and the Kabbalist um, uh, Jacob Frank, when they entered into the alliance to launch the Illuminati, what were the goals of the Illuminati? Number one, abolition of all monarchies and all governments. Abolition of nationalism, basically, replacing with globalism. Well, that you see in the Marxist Manifesto and Agenda 21 as well. Number two, abolition of private property and inheritances. Well, that's certainly in the Marxist Manifesto, and it's in Agenda 21. Abolition of nationalism, definitely, yep. Tick that as well, that's that's in Agenda 21, the Earth Summit, uh, the Earth Council, and uh, in the Marxist Manifesto. Number four, abolition of the family and the institution of marriage. There's no doubt that is not just in Marxism, that is also in Agenda 21, and this is part of the Illuminati's revolutionary goals of 1776. Abolition of all religion, yep, uh, check that as well. And establishment of compulsory communal education for all children controlled by the state, or in this case, the super state, the globalist. Tick, yes, uh, all of these um, revolutionary goals of 1776 of the Illuminati are exactly what the goals were of Sabbatianism launched by Sabbatay in 1766. Exactly the same as what was launched by Karl Marx in the Karl Marx Manifesto of 1848, and exactly what Gorbachev wrote into the Earth Charter of 1992 and Agenda 21. So they do deserve the order of the watermill. The communists have morphed into greens, and they are able to interfere in people's private ownership of property, rights of inheritance, nationalism, religious freedom, all these things, all in the name of saving the planet, stopping global warming or climate change or whatever they want to call it these days. And the intriguing thing is that while they said this took a long consultative process, um, they're also quite open about the fact that, well, actually Gorbachev wrote it and uh, uh, along with Murray Strong, they foisted it on everyone claiming this was a result of a consultative process. Well, I don't know who they consulted with, but According to Murray Strong and, and Gorbachev, they uh, they were cooperating on the Earth Charter Commission Steering Committee with Stephen Clark Rockefeller. Now, that's an interesting com- uh, coincidence. So Rockefeller was part of the Earth Charter Commission Steering Committee. And they were funded by, amongst others, the Rockefeller Brothers Fund. So the Rockefeller Fund helped fund this Earth Initiative. That's interesting. So you've got a bunch of communists uh, funded by capitalists bringing about the achievement of the communist agenda, but in the name of saving the planet and in the guise or gift wrapping of a Green New Deal. And um, where did they approve this uh, Earth Charter? Well, the Earth Charter Commission, the final text of the Earth Charter was approved at a meeting of the Earth Charter Commission at UNESCO headquarters in Paris, March 2000. And then they had a formal ceremony on 29th of June 2000 at the Peace Palace in The Hague and uh, There they formally adopted this 2,400-word document divided into sections called pillars, 
with 60 main principles containing 61 supporting principles. And this is called the way forward. It's a new Ten Commandments. It's a new Sermon Amount on the way to guide humanity on the path forward. That's what Gorbachev called it. Well, when you look at this Green New Deal or this whole um, agenda that, that they have from the Earth Charter, it includes building democratic societies throughout the world, um, adopting patterns of production, consumption, and reproduction, which safeguard Earth's uh, capacities. So adopting patterns of production, that's industry, consumption, that's um, what you buy and use and eat, and reproduction, that's whether you can have children or not. All of this is to be controlled. So they want to control who gets born, and, well, I mean, that's eugenics right there, but but they're controlling it in so many ways. And the vaccines can be one of the ways. Of course, promoting abortion uh, and promoting euthanasia and promoting uh, experimental medical procedures that they want to call vaccines, which might in many cases uh, actually bring about sterilization. All of this, uh, the one-child policy that was used for many decades in Red China, all of these are communist goals, control all patterns of production, consumption, and reproduction. And in, under social and economic justice, they're talking about eradicating poverty. Well, how do they eradicate poverty? Well, basically, uh, by pulling people who are better off down to the lowest common denominator and affirming gender equality and equity. You see, you've got the whole gender politics is in here as well. And they say without discrimination, but they do always practice discrimination against Bible-believing Christians, evangelicals, people who pro-life, pro, uh, pro-choice when it comes to home education or something like that. And then in the name of democracy, non-violence, and peace, they make it quite clear what they mean by that is all opposition must be eradicated. And so peace is the absence of resistance to communism. So you can see this uh, whole Earth Charter, along with Agenda 21, it's completely consistent with historic communism and with the Illuminati's goals already set in 1776 and with Sabote Zevi's goals of salvation through sin and redemption through deception of 1666. And who's adopted this Earth Charter? Well, of course, UNESCO, over 250 universities around the world, the Buddhists, the Unitarians, the Universalists, the Baha'is, the World Pantheistic Movement, and it goes through hordes of different groups, including Jewish and Catholic and others, and Episcopalian, who have adopted this and just extraordinary amount. And you can see the goal of a one world interfaith religion is being fulfilled through this Earth Charter. So Gorbachev managed to succeed uh, in the Green Agenda internationally. What he failed to do in the Soviet Union, he failed to crush Christianity in the Soviet Union. He failed to eradicate the church in, in the Soviet Union. He failed to advance atheism. In fact, there's been a tremendous reversal. Vast amounts of Russia, a vast majority of Russia, have turned to Christianity officially and rejected atheism. So 70 years of atheist indoctrination and communist persecution failed to convert the people of Russia to atheism and to communism. And uh, But they are succeeding in advancing the communist agenda worldwide in the West through this Green New Deal, through the uh, Green Cross, through the Rio Earth Summit and, um, and the Earth Charter and Agenda 21. And it's intriguing to see how the Charter 
it's it's completely secular. It's completely socialist. Uh, yes, they call it a new kinds of ten commands, uh, but they are pushing their arc of hope, a new arc of hope. It, it's there's so much where you can see it's deliberately anti-Christian, and they are using these means of implementation um, along with uh, the Agenda 21. Interesting also that they on the significant date of the 13th of June, you know, June the sixth month, 13 being uh, often an occultic number. And the reason why they, they like 13 is because you think of the 11 faithful disciples and Jesus, that's the 12, but then Judas, he's the 13th. And so and that's why 13 is often regarded as an unlucky number because, you know, Judas was the 13th and so on. And so it's often seen as a as an occultic number and occult people like to take 13 and say, yes, we, we are the Judas. And uh, just again, while they often choose a date on something like 13th, and they like sixes. And so regularly you can see uh, they will choose a date where they can perhaps use sixes or 21s and, and so on and so forth. So the environmental movement has been used to as a link pin in this plot to basically subject people worldwide under some kind of eco-totalitarian regime. And uh, Agenda 21 is the perfect ploy for communists to deny people their property rights to undermine national sovereignty, to force citizens to move to cities, to advance the communist agenda. But it's not a name of communism, it's a name of saving the planet and stopping climate change. But it is seditious. You cannot implement any of Agenda 21's goals without some coercive state power, without a police state, without an uh, internationalist regime uh, forcing people, uh, depriving them of access to the economy. You cannot buy a cell without this this mark or this vaccine or this uh, paper that you need. And you can see what is being advanced now in the name of uh, Green Cross International or the Rio Earth Summit it is actually practical communism, just as we saw also uh, with the um, so-called uh, closing down of the world and this lockdown lunacy, masquerade madness, COVID cult salvation by vaccination, cult that has destroyed so much of the world's economy in the last two and a half years. So as we look at their goals, the Green Cross International, which was also launched 1992 by Gorbachev. I mean, just remember the timing. He resigns as president of the Soviet Union, Christmas Day, 25th of December, 1991. And 1992 launches the Gorbachev Foundation, the Green Cross International and uh, the Earth Charter, the Earth Summit, Agenda 21. And you could just see, basically, communism moved from being in the East to being in the West. It moved from being uh, just confined to a few countries in the East to being global in its scope and influence, and all because people were cheering that uh, the Cold War's over, the danger of nuclear war's over, no more tension between the superpowers, the Warsaw Pact's collapsed, the Berlin Wall's come down, the Iron Curtain's collapsed, and yay, we're all free and peaceful and we're all going to live happily ever after. And in that environment, which, uh, remember, had been predicted by uh, the uh, defectors uh, such as New Lies for Old, uh, when it had been um, predicted by Antelai Galitsyn, uh, a KGB defector, that this was all part of a long-term strategic deception, Trojan horse plan, that there's this crucial paradigm shift and... Uh, we are now moving to a situation, he was warning of this already uh, in a book that he wrote in 1980, and uh, it was published in 19, 
1985, before Gorbachev even rose to power, uh, sorry, it came out in 1984, before Gorbachev rose to power, speaking about this leader that is going to bring about this startling changes, open up the economy, bring down the Berlin Wall, open up uh, the Iron Curtain, and uh, uh, offer a whole new time of peaceful coexistence with the West, and that he, it would be a Trojan horse in order to bring the Marxist agenda into mainstream Western society. And so I think most people might be disarmed by the ideas, oh, well, you know, what's wrong with saving the planet? I mean, we're against pollution. We're against uh, uh, anything that's going to damage the environment. Well, of course, we want to preserve uh, our planet for future generations. And, you know, we, we love forests and we love wildlife and we like our um, ecology to be cared for. And so it's it's an ideal Trojan horse because who in their right mind wouldn't want to fight pollution and save the planet? But it's being used as a deception operation in order to, with it, like a Trojan horse, bring in a multitude of communist agendas to dismantle our freedoms and to seize control of the things that should be in the free enterprise realm and put it not just under the local government, but under an international government, effectively a world government, uh, such as run by the United Nations and its various alphabet soup organizations like UNESCO and World Health Organization and so on. So just looking at some of what the Green Cross claims to do, the Green Cross claims to be building for a better future, to promote legal, ethical and behavioral norms, to ensure basic changes in the values and actions and attitudes of government in the private sector and civil society in order to develop a sustainable global community. Now, What's another synonym for global community? Global government, perhaps? One world country, a one world government? Um, internationalism, maybe? Uh, what what could they be talking about a global community? Well, this is the terminology of communists. You had the communards of Paris. You had the communist party. You had uh, uh, communalism as part of their terminology. Just like when they used the word change, that was the rallying cry of Obama, change. Well, change could be a synonym for revolution. And so they promise change and change they plan to bring, but it's it's basically revolution, subverting Christian nationalism and bring in a socialist, atheistic internationalism and globalism. And when you look at the groups that the Gorbachev Foundation, the Green Cross uh, International are affiliated with, they are on the consultative bodies for United Nations Economic and Social Council, they have uh, Observer States United Nations, their consulting body for UNESCO. They have a, a, a Observer Status with the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change. They are Observer Organization with the Conference of Parties, the United Nations Convention to Combat Desertification. They are part of UN Habitat. They're part of the United Nations Program, UN Office for Coordination of Humanitarian Affairs, and vast amounts of other international organizations. This is like the KGB and the Central Committee of the Communist Party Soviet Union mainstreamed into Western global international societies. And uh, uh, interesting, if you just look at Maurice Frederick Strong, who is the partner in crime of Gorbachev in everything that you're talking about uh, on the agenda of the Rio summit of 92, uh, the whole um, Earth chart and lot, Murray Strong, who's a Canadian businessman, uh, he had described himself as, I am a socialist in ideology, I'm a capitalist in my methodology. 
a socialist capitalist, socialist ideology, capitalist methodology. Well, uh, this Marie Strong, um, from uh, uh, already early 1970s, he's Secretary General of the United Nations Conference on the Human Environment. He became first Executive Director of the United Nations Environmental Programme. He, he was also at the same time Chief Executive Officer of Petro-Canada, that's hilarious, concerned for the environment while he's running a major petrol company. Uh, but don't worry about these sort of inconsistencies that destroy the narrative. Um, he has been involved in all kinds of power utilities in North America. And uh, he's also on the YMCA uh, as national president and chairman and American Water Development Incorporated, uh, Commissioner of the World Commission Environment Development. Uh, he is recognized by the International Union for Conservation of Nature. Uh, he's been president of the Council of the University for Peace, honorary professor at Peking University, and you can carry on and on. Absolutely amazing. Uh, Murray Strong was also heavily involved in the oil for school, the oil for food scandal of 2005, um, along with uh, Kofi Annan and Kofi Annan's son. Uh, he was involved in um, receiving checks of almost a million dollars made out to Mr. M. Strong, issued by Jordanian Bank, uh, hand-delivered to him uh, during this whole oil for food scandal, which was mega corruption on the Euro side. So Marie Strong also, by the way, was personal envoy to United Nations Secretary General Kofi Annan to the Democratic People's Republic of Korea. That's North Korea. From 2003-2005, Strong did everything he could to channel vast amounts of technology and aid to North Korea. You may think, what does that have to do with saving the environment? Well, who knows? Uh, but he lived in China for quite a long time. He based and worked in Red China. Uh, and at his funeral in 2015, um, uh, tributes were given by Mikhail Gorbachev and Kofi Annan, amongst others. So Murray Strong is a major player in the environmental realm. And like with all of these greens, very, very red roots, uh, heavily involved with red China, heavily involved with North Korea, and um, heavily involved in corruption. So when you look at the green uh, uh, agenda, and you look at uh, these people who are saying they're concerned about saving the planet, isn't it interesting? They're all heavily affiliated with some of the worst polluters on the planet, which is communist and socialist countries. Most of the pollution in the world, in whatever way you want to look at it, air pollution, water pollution, all of that environmental degradation, well, red China is the worst. And so it goes on. Uh, the Soviet Union was hideous before in, in how they destroyed the environment. So it seems that communist regimes have even less concern for the environment than the Western countries, which is terrible. And, uh, and yet you've got these environmentalists are claiming to be concerned for the environment, but they're silent about the worse abuses of their communist friends. And it's like they're only using the green agenda as a pretext to advance the globalist agenda, the internationalist agenda, which is basically a classless world society where you will owe nothing and you will be happy and where everybody will be dependent upon the globalist state for everything. Back to you, Andrew. Thank you, Peter. Yes, it's that last comment you, you made there. I was just writing that up. Um, that is so important because something that I've been uh, and, and what I'm, I'll, I'll recap quickly, um, the fact that communist regimes are far bigger polluters of the environment than uh, other regimes. And you look at all the, 
you know, the pollution the likes of China, etc., produce. And then you look at, um, well, in the Soviet era, um, the Chernobyl, um, obviously mm. that incident under communism. Um, one thing that I talk about uh, quite frequently is it's always good to be consistent in pointing out their inconsistencies, which is something I've learned from you and your presentations. Um, and we, throughout the West, have an influx of illegal immigration on a daily basis. These people are rescued from boats. I'm, I'm talking about the UK now, we're an island. They come over on boats. The Royal Lifeboat Association, um, West, um, RNLI, I think it might be Royal National Lifeboat Institute, something like that. Um, I know people that used to donate to them each year and they won't do it anymore because they're going out and they're rescuing all these people coming over to the UK in dinghies. And as soon as these people arrive, you don't see them sleeping on the streets. Uh, where I live, I see a lot of people sleeping on the streets who've been there for years. I recognise their faces. Now, they can't find accommodation for them, but they can find accommodation for these people who have no right to be here in the first place. But where I'm going mm. with this is, the as you started off, the biggest attack is on the people. Uh, you made the point that uh, I summarised, um, that essentially the... Agenda 21 is basically a process of depopulating the planet under the guise of saving the environment. But one of the things that they use is, oh, people are, are, are evil. You know, the amount of uh, waste, the amount of pollution uh, that a single human being produces. Well, if that's the case, why do you keep bringing more in? But I think that you touched on it uh, when you said that the prime target, or certainly the initial target, is... Um, the Christians and when they mm. say Christians there's a new term that has been floating about and they are now referring to Christians as Nazis I've noticed that mm. creeping up now obviously for those of you listening we're not confusing with these you know so-called Nazis in the Ukraine and what have you and uh, uh, they're very odd characters that seem to be uh, you know, having those sort of symbolisms along with allegiances to Israel, which uh, yeah, is quite peculiar. But I've certainly seen in the mainstream this kind of, almost becoming in recent months, let's label Christians as Nazis, because if you uh, have a go at them for being Christians, it doesn't sound so good. But if you can call them Nazis, then... You can, they've worked to demonise that term so much over the years that that's the best term to use for Christians. And the other, uh, what, but what they're saying there is they're not necessarily talking about Christians, they're talking about white people. They see white people as Christians who they then label as Nazis because they've been propagandising uh, the National Socialist regime for years and lying about certain aspects of what they did do and what they didn't do. So... If the the, um, the the COVID situation is a case in point, the vaccines, the amount of people that are talking about this is like the Holocaust because they've been taught that the worst thing that ever happened in this world, in world history, was the Holocaust. 
And that's why they'll say the vaccines are like that, because they're trying to give a parallel as to how bad they think it is. But that's just an example of how Holocaust, Nazis and all that has been ingrained into people through years of brainwashing so that they've got a term to demonise us with. What are your thoughts on that, Peter? Yes, when you get down to it, the globalists must demonise any form of nationalism because anything that does not get enthusiastic about globalism is the enemy. So their goal is to demonise their opposition. And we who believe in national sovereignty or decentralization, or um, you just take the biblical concept of a nation, because our Lord Jesus, when he said, make disciples of all nations, he used the word ethni, from where we get our term ethnic from. So the Greek term for nations used in the Great Commission, Matthew 28, is ethni. And so the Lord is not saying, make disciples of every country registered at the United Nations. <laughs> the United Nations are neither United nor nations. United Nations is uh, actually the biggest group of unelected mass murderers, dictators, human traffickers, drug dealers in the world. Uh, they're just a bunch of gangsters with flags. So people today are confused what nation is, but biblically a nation is an ethno-linguistic people group of a shared faith. So for example, uh, the Hebrews were Hebrews. Even after 480 years in Egypt, they were still Hebrews. They didn't become Egyptians just because they're born in Egypt. They were not geographic accidents. They were demographic descendants. They were of uh, the children of Abraham, Isaac, and, and Jacob, and so on. And so, uh, plainly, uh, the biblical concept of a nation, which you can see, uh, like in the 12 tribes of, of Israel and so on, uh, plainly is at variance with the globalist one-world agenda, which you can see condemned in the Bible, Nineveh, top-down uh, centralized government, Babel. Well, God judge Babel. I mean, uh, Babylon is, is just a... Uh, an example of, of what the world's trying to do today, recreate Babel. Even you go to the European Union, and in Strasbourg, they've built the EU parliament in the shape of the um, Tower of Babel. And uh, uh, even down to the uh, scaffolding and the incompleteness of the building, uh, uh, in accordance with Bruegel's famous um, uh, uh, Renaissance portrait of, of Babel. And uh, the term of the European Union from the beginning was Europe, many tongues, one voice. And they, they're often uh, taking the imagery of the Bible, such as the woman riding the beast, and uh, attributing it to themselves. So they, they very blatantly like to be on the other side. Even the, the concept of the idea left, it comes from, in the Bible, uh, God always separates the sheep on his right from the goats on his left. And, and the Bible is very clear that the, the ones on the left are the ones condemned. To those on his left, he will say, you know, depart from me, curse it into the lake of fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. And so during the French Revolution, the uh, the revolutionaries use the term the left. We are the left, and we are the goats. We are against God. We're against Christ. And they were uh, plainly the ones who wanted to hang the ministers up uh, from the street lamppost and, and often did, and uh, uh, enthrone prostitutes in churches and turn churches into temples of reason, and, and who led the persecution in the anti-Christian French Revolution. So uh, we need to understand the, anti the deliberate self-conscious anti-Christian agenda of these globalists. Bear in mind, they are trying to implement an agenda which the Bible condemns, not just in Babel, <laughs> but uh, in Revelation 13. A one-world government, a one-world economic system, a one-world interfaith religion, where everyone must get a mark or they won't be allowed to buy or sell. I mean, this should ring bells. We can see that what we have going on is what the Bible calls antichrist, and uh, plainly it is Antichrist, 
because this globalist agenda is very antichrist. Even the terminology, we are producing a new Ten Commandments. Well, how can they do that unless they're God? Uh, why would you need a new set of Ten Commandments unless you're rejecting the old ones? And this is a new Sermon Mount. Why new Sermon Mount? Is there something wrong with the old Sermon Mount that Jesus gave? Well, yes, according to them. And so you can see that the globalists, they are Antichrist at their essence, at their core. And uh, that's why anybody who opposes, they hate Christian families, men and women. They're attacking genders. They're attacking fathers. They're attacking mothers. They're attacking motherhood and parenthood. They're attacking Christianity. They're attacking nationalism. And that is why they've got to use every kind of term of uh, derision or of slander against those who oppose them. And so if we oppose the antichrist, globalist, blasphemous agenda, then we are obviously Nazis, which sums up, um, well, it's meant to be short for national socialists. And even if we reject socialism, that doesn't matter to them. The fact is we are nationalists and they hate nationalism because they are globalists. Back to you, Andrew. Thank you, Peter. Yes. And uh, one other thing that um, I'd like to raise with you, Peter, and you talked about the terminology uh, to look out for, communist terminology such as global community and Obama's change business and stuff like that. The build back better is what we have thrown at us. And whenever I write this, as you will see from the show poster, when I send it over, I use sixes for the Bs. So build back better is 666. What are your thoughts on that? Oh, it's it's completely occultic. And we documented this in our program on 1666 and the Sabbatean roots of the New World Disorder. Because yes, Sabbati Zevi is the one who basically uh, launched the whole concept of build back better. And his goal was to burn everything down, to destroy everything, and out of the ashes will arise the new paradise. And his idea is redemption through deception, salvation through sin, break every law, break everything down, and then you can build back better. Well, it's interesting, the people who use the term build back better, and no, it wasn't invented by Biden or the Democrats in America. <laughs> They've just plagiarized and hijacked it. The people who talk about building back better, have you noticed they never build anything. <laughs> they only burn it down and break it down. And I don't know if they've done anything better. I mean, just point to one thing that Biden's Democrats have done better than Trump, for example. Um, they don't build and they certainly don't make it better. Back to you, Andrew. They don't. And, um, yeah, you just look at uh, the support that they were giving all these Black Lives Matter rioters throughout the world. Um they call it Build Back Better when they essentially let these people destroy cities, commit all sorts of crimes from arson to murder, um, and they do nothing. They just let them do it. Yet when people go and protest the lockdowns, then they are aggressively targeted by the police. Or when people protest what was very obviously a stolen election in America, they wait, get all their details, and then turn up 30, 40 at a time SWAT teams to arrest these people, and they've been languishing in jails for over 18 months. Mm. It, it's, it's astonishing. But you see, these people are so arrogant, they think we've got the power now, and they're just on a sweep-up exercise for people like you and I, Peter, that uh, are still able to get the message out that they don't want revealed. Um, and... and 
Because if you can make laws like they're making in America that you can actually get away with not only stealing an election, you'd think if you stole an election, you'd want to sort of move on and like sort of be a bit quiet about it. But to actually go out and say, right, now let's arrest all these people who protested the fact that we stole the election. That's, that's not fair. It, it's just this utter arrogance that they have that they can just do anything that they want. And it's come back and bitten them before. And I believe it's going to come back and bite them again. Their vanity has always historically been their undoing. So whilst it is disappointing to see things like this going on, any injustices, I keep these people who tried to take their country back in my prayers. Um, they, no, it's not even worth me making the comment. People know that they shouldn't be where they are. It's a disgrace. <coughs> but at the same time, I believe that these regimes doing these sort of totalitarian attacks on their own people are actually going to come down as a result because they've just pushed it too far. Uh, Peter, what are your thoughts? And then we'll wrap it up. Yes, uh, well, um, it's like Monday call it treason because, you know, uh, treason never prospers because if it prospers, Monday call it treason. And uh, that's the point. What you've got is when the traitors are in charge, uh, then, well, uh, heroes are the ones who get hung. And um, uh, what we're seeing right now is arrogance, hypocrisy, double standards of the worst order. And uh, we need to recognize it. And remember that freedom needs freedom of thought, freedom of opinion, freedom of, of the press, freedom of religion, freedom of conscience. They have no right to command our conscience. And uh, we need to stand on key principles, Magna Carta, uh, Bill of Rights, biblical principles. My conscience has kept the word of God. Uh, as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, our God whom we save is able, who we serve is able to save us. And even if he does not save us, we still will not bow before your idols, nor will we serve your gods. And so we, we need to be steadfast. We need to stand firm. We must not bow or bend before this new world disorder, this uh, the powers that should not be these uh, antichrists who are trying to bring about a one-world globalist government and economic system and a one-world interfaith religion, which is antichrist. So, uh, yes, if uh, people want to get in touch with me, my personal email is peter at frontline.org.za, peter at frontline.org.za, and our website, www.frontlinemissionsa.org. would be good to hear from you. Thank you so much, Andrew. Thank you so much, Peter. Fascinating information as always. Ladies and gentlemen, you have been listening to The Real Story of the Order of the Watermelon. I want to thank you all for listening. Peter, I'll be back with you at the same time next week. I will, of course, be back with you all tomorrow. And until then, folks, have a wonderful day and bye. For now.